So we're in James chapter 2 today, uh, beginning in verse 14. And what we're going to be looking at today is the, there is a, a lot of hypocrisy in our world. Um, politicians that claim family values, but clearly they've been an illicit affair for however long. And pastors that talk about suffering and uh, they're wearing $1,200 shoes. Mine were 40 by the way, at the, uh, what do you call it, Nordstrom's Rack, very nice, yeah, um, or pastors that, you know, just, you know, make an insane amount of income, um, and they don't pay their staff anything, or they aren't generous, and they talk about that stuff, and and then there's the folks that say they value the community that they're building with inside they're friends in Christ, and yet they gossip nonstop. I mean, there's a lot of that in our world, a lot of that in our church, and our actions not matching our words is, is a problem that's been going on for a long time. You see, in those scenarios that I just talked about, uh, each of these scenarios, <clears throat> their behavior is speaking louder than their words. Like what they actually are living out uh, is not matching what they say. And faith is an easy thing to claim. But if you've walked in faith uh, the way that we're talking about today, you will see that it's anything but easy. It'll be the hardest thing you ever have to do. Because it calls for a surrender of you. It calls for you saying daily, uh, I'm going to pick up my cross and follow him. It's being a living sacrifice. Like you can choose to get off if you want to. But a sacrifice indeed. It's a choice that we have. And so in this section of James, we're going to kind of wrestle with the question of how do you tell if somebody's faith is genuine? And this is not like so you can just, uh, it's not like the Enneagram where you take a test and you kind of boom, there you are. That's, that's who you are. Like we don't always know people's hearts. But uh, you can know yours. You can know where you stand. You can know what you're doing in your own walk with the Lord. And so this isn't to give us permission to, like, judge people. Um, although I think that there's sometimes that we can make a pretty good call. Um, this gives us sort of the negative and positive signs that we can see that we have a genuine faith. This is about our faith being evident in how we actually live our lives. So let me pray for us, and then we'll... Uh, I'll have you stand for our reading in just a second. Lord, this morning as we wrestle with uh, some things in ourselves that don't reflect you, all of us have them because we're not you. We're not without sin. Um, Lord, help us not to just lay those aside and, and... Think of what we're talking about today to be like the extreme hypocrites in this world. They are pretty obvious. But would you deal with the hypocrisy in our hearts today, wherever we are in our walk with you? Help us not to feel shame, but help us to, to come to a place of understanding that we are living a way that's not pleasing to you. And that needs to be 
fixed with your help. But it starts with our surrender. It starts with us saying, we will respond to your love. So help us to do that this morning and going forward, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you could stand with me if you're able to. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Uh, they'll be up on the screen as well. And um, we'll go ahead and read what we have here. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Amen. You may be seated. Some heavy stuff there. But he begins in verse 14 uh, by saying, What good is it, brothers or sisters, if you claim to have faith but no deeds of your faith? Is that really a saving faith at all? Now, we all go through tough times. I mean, there, there are times that we drift from the Lord, that, that we believe God, that, that we even uh, are in agreement when people talk about the Lord. And we say good things about the Lord, but there's things in our life that don't reflect him. Like, this is not one of those messages where it's like, uh, well, God's not going to hear you till you get everything right with him. Because if that was the case, we would, God would never hear from us, right? Because we don't ever have everything right and never will, this side of heaven. This is really about uh, recognizing in, in people because, believe it or not, uh, this stuff is going to get worse. Like it's becoming prevalent and it's turning people away from the church, this hypocrisy that's out there. And we don't get to be the judges of it necessarily. God does. But we can uh, look at people's lives and try to figure out, are they a hypocrite or not? And if so, are you part of the solution? Is God calling you to, to say something? Maybe not. This is different than just those tough spells. This is about... We don't have a life looking like a follower of Christ at all. And in your mind, if you start to conjure up what somebody uh, looks like that is a Christian, it's really hard to do. Because everybody can be. And as you start to envision what that Christian looks like, 
It's more about what they're doing, right? It's more about the actions that this person is displaying as you kind of envision that. This faith in deeds is more about saying one thing and a life of no hint of godliness. This is a faith with no fruit. We see that God is working in somebody's life. There's no response. There's none that they may not know Christ. And again, that's not for me to judge because I could be faking this whole thing and you'd never know it probably. Like there are people out there that display godliness in their words and in their actions and really don't know Christ. Just like there's people um, in this world that look a mess, look like they don't have anything together. Their life is falling apart and they're the most godly people on the planet. You ever seen the show, uh, uh, what's called, uh, What Would You Do? It's like a, it's like a spinoff show of like 2020 or something like that. And I, I caught, a, I've caught a few episodes of it. And this, this guy, uh, jovial looking fella, you know, basically sets up scenarios for what would you do? And they hire actors and actresses to, to come in and they have normal everyday people just kind of fill in the, the, the coffee shop or the restaurant or outdoors or wherever it is. And everybody, um, you know, except the, the, like the public is aware, like the owners are know what's going on, all this stuff. And they'll put a scenario up where like a mother is like just ripping into her teenage daughter. I mean, just really like screaming at her, calling her names and stuff like that. And then people walking by and the whole premise is what would you do? Because you're being filmed right now and you see certain people walk away from situations like that and certain people be like, hey, what in the world right here? Like, what's going on? I would never, I mean, part of me has done the right thing for many years because I show, saw that show one time. I was like, I don't want to be on the wrong end of that right there. I don't want to be the guy that's just like, yeah, whatever, you know, and walk away. Like if I, that, that, it's kind of accountability, I guess, maybe. But that show, you know, uh, what would you do is kind of like what James is asking us about the people that he's talking about here. He's like, what would you do if someone comes to you for help? And specifically, if you had the means to do something about it. Like if somebody's like, ah, I'm super hungry and I'm really, really hungry. And, and, and you know, there are guests in your home and you're like, well, good luck with that. No, what do you do? You open your fridge, you open your pantry, you feed them whatever you've got. And this, this is like when you see a homeless person. I'm not saying you give them money. Actually, Dallas uh, Stamper, who runs Penn Ministry, says, That's the, don't do that. That's the worst thing to do. But if a homeless person like walks up to you, like, do you have to get involved right away? Like, are you supposed to go get that person some food? That's between you and God. Like, there's times that I just can't do it. Like, there's like an emergency going on. But if somebody approaches me and says, hey, I'd like some you know, money for some food, I'm usually like, well, let's go in the grocery store from right there. Come on, I'll get you something. About half the time they take me up on it. So this is not like a thing where it's like you have to do something about every need that's out there.
But do you even walk away from needs that people have feeling empathy, compassion, wondering what could be done, praying about it? Like we, we can't do nothing. Like the stuff that's going on in our world, like does it concern you? Like, do you feel sorry for even like, like innocent countries that are being bombed right now and innocent people are dying in the name of like taking care of a, a terrible group? I mean, that, that, what a mess that is, right? And I don't, I'm not up here to give you an answer or an opinion on it. I'm just, that's sad. And how does God want us involved in that? Like sometimes it's just saying what I just said. It's sad. And just hearing what people have to say. I mean, James is like at his wits end. He's like, what good is it? If you just talk about stuff and nothing in your life reflects Christ, nothing in your life is being seen by others as, wow, that's good, other than your big mouth. It's a lot going on there. So then he gets even harsher in verse 17, and he says, faith by itself is no faith at all. He says, faith by itself is dead because it is really just words. Now, some people are like, well, what about Paul? Paul wrote, it's we're saved by faith alone. Okay, great, we are. But it's in total agreement. Because that faith alone that you, uh, as you surrender to God, you are forever sealed. You are forever righteous. God looks at you and he sees one of his own. He sees his own son, his Holy Spirit living in you. And you could be living a terrible life, meet the Lord and die and go to heaven. Or you could live a great life full of this and never surrender to Christ. I mean, we are called to get involved with people's needs physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, with our money, with our stuff. Like, how do we come and help people? Christians care deeply about people, care deeply about humanity. What is going on in our world should like break our heart. And we should do what we're able to do. Like whether that's in the world, but especially within the context of our family of faith. Like shame on us if we take care of everybody else, but, but people in here are like, dying in a pile like part of that is getting to know one another and getting to understand where your life is and, and, and living life together so you know when people need help that's, our, that's all of our call I mean, if you're part of a family of faith you act like a family and you get to know uh, each other you get to know what's going on I'm not fussing at you by the way I think you guys are doing an amazing job at that but that's what, we, that's what we're called to do because talk is cheap. I mean, verse 18, 
If I say I have faith and you actually have deeds, like who's going to be proven right? Like who are you going to look at and go, okay, well, that guy's talking about it and that guy's doing something about it. Who are you going to say, well, that person I vote for is the one that has faith? It's clearly the person living it out. It's the person that's doing something that proves their faith is really active and genuine. Faith is shown in more by living it out than talking about it. And we live in a world that doesn't want to hear what you have to say. Well, that's not true. Everybody thinks everybody wants to hear what they have to say, but they don't really want to hear what you have to say. And so as we're in this tension, like how are we going to show Christ to others? By like sitting them down and just talking to them? Or by like you letting the Lord infiltrate and, and redeem every bit of who you are that you keep from him? And you will start to change like you've never changed before. You will start to understand God more than you've never understood before. And this is the, this is the hard part. When you understand how more and more about God, guess what? you realize how much you don't know about God. And that increases your faith. And as your faith is increased, you start to understand that it is possible to talk about your faith as well as do things that show your faith. And matter of fact, sometimes doing something with your faith is actually talking about your faith. But it must match your life. Like if you're talking and talking and it sounds good, but then you're just like a, a spokesperson. It's like finding somebody that's a spokesperson for, I don't know, Chick-fil-A. And you walk into Popeye's and they're eating Popeye's chicken. You'd be like, well, that's a hypocrite. I mean, what's the deal? You'd feel scammed, wouldn't you? By the way, who's, there's a big debate on what's better. I'm not sure. Yeah, I haven't had Popeyes yet. Every time I go, they have a line around the building, so I don't go. But talk is cheap if it isn't matched by what we do and, 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 and how we live. And when you learn to do both of those together, that it is like your words are matching your life, and your life is matching your words. That is maturity. That's what this book is about. This is about like understanding, like maybe I need to go do something to help that homeless person with an act of like buying them food or, or getting them a hotel for a night. Maybe that's what you're supposed to do. But maybe what you're supposed to do is not an active thing. It's, it, it's actively speaking about your faith because it matches your real life. And so you can sit across the table from somebody over coffee and say, Man, I really understand because I've been through that. Or, even better answer, I have no idea what you're going through. But I'm here to listen. And I'm here to help. And the entire time you're just pointing that person to Jesus as you're led by him. Well, then verse 19, the gloves come off. I'm going to read it to us again. You believe that there is one God, good. But even the demons believe that and shudder. I mean, apparently, 
just believing in God, believing he's real, saying he's real is not quite enough to prove that your life has been changed by God. Because it, it's, it, I've been processing this thought. It is actually, uh, I think, true that the demons are more aware of the presence of God than I am. That sounds weird. But they see the spiritual realm because they're part of the spiritual realm. Like, and they shudder. Like, that's how real they know he is. And then James goes on to illustrate it even more. And I love who he picked here. Because it's very similar to what we've been talking about. Like, somebody that looks like they have it all together and doesn't. Somebody that looks like their life's a mess and, and, and they know the Lord and they have peace that surpasses all understanding. Well, both of these examples of people had peace that surpassed all understanding because of their walk and their faith, but they were very, two very different people. In verses 20 through 24, James illustrates even more. He uses the example of Abraham first, a man of great faith who made plenty of mistakes. We can talk about those, but yes, eventually he would always say yes to God. He would eventually get there. His faith was living and active. He wasn't just saying stuff about his faith. Like he was actually obeying God as far to the point of sacrificing his son, Isaac. And God had told him to do it to test him. And he, I mean, he was about to carry it out. I mean, it was as if the, I mean, the knife is on the way down and God says, stop. And he says, because I know that you will keep nothing between you and me. Man, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do things in you, Abraham, that will be talked about for generation upon. I mean, we're talking about it today. Because Abraham was getting the glory? No, because God got the glory. Because Abraham surrendered to God and God spared Abraham's son's life. I mean, the obedience that he had was proven genuine in his faith and his deeds. Then we see the example of Rahab. Now it says here in scripture that Abraham was called a, a, a friend of God. He was called God's friend. A faithful man. Like you can read about his life and you're like, wow, you made mistakes, but wow, you're a really good dude. And then James brings up Rahab, who was a prostitute. Diametrically opposed examples. A man, a woman. A man of great faith, a prostitute. Well, because of what God had done in Abraham, the message of God and the kingdom of God began to spread and spread and spread and spread to a point years and years later, Rahab is a part of a country, a mighty country, Jericho, with a big wall around it that could not be penetrated. And the Israelites sent two spies uh, to that area to kind of check it out and see what was happening to see is the Lord really going to give us this land because this is a pretty big task. And so those two spies went in and as they went in, 
it started to get around and finally uh, got to the ear of the king that uh, there was two spies and they think that they were in Rahab's uh, house. So Rahab gets word of this and she goes to them and she says, I know the God you serve. Now remember, uh, Israel had not come to that point. The Jewish people had not come to that point. This was God given them this land, but like somehow the word of God got through to her. And she says, and I believe. Now, if you're measuring like whose uh, walk with the Lord is better, Abraham or Rahab, Clearly, it's Abraham, a lifelong, faithful life to God. Rahab had just heard about God and was so scared to lose her life and the life of her family that she hid those two spies from the king, gave them a way of escape. But do you know that Rahab is listed in the hall of faith, like right next to Abraham. Like it's that, that moment of life when we just go, wow, Lord, you are who you are. I am in awe of you and I'm going to do what you say to do. For Abraham, it was just a promise of like a family. For Rahab, it was a promise of I won't kill you. I mean, two very different ways and opportunities for people to come to faith. But something was changed in all of them because you've got Abraham and Rahab listed in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. Also in Jesus' lineage, right? It's part of where Ruth came from. If I remember right. Isn't that right, Long? I think that's right. Check me on that. See if I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, I'll give you a good handshake. But this passage really requires us to self-examine ourselves. Like, am I following God? Maybe a question of, like, where am I not following God? And maybe it's a question of where is he calling me to go? What's he calling me to do? But as we examine our faith, we must ensure that it is not just merely words or empty beliefs. May our lives actively reflect the God that has changed us, not just in our words, but in how we live our lives.